Vertical Street Ventures is excited to announce their first annual national conference, Financially Free in Three, a conference for real estate investors. This is a two-day event happening on June the 4th and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. At this conference, you will hear from experts on how to leave your day job and become a full-time real estate investor. Learn how to buy real estate assets that create passive income for you. Meet hundreds of like-minded people. Understand the tax-efficient strategies to keep more of what you earn and the unique opportunity to take a bus tour around large and small multifamily properties to learn how these investments are operated. There will be world-class speakers and industry experts, including Hunter Thompson, Michael Becker, Paul Peebles, Amanda Hahn, and more. Go to vsvcon.com to grab your ticket. Make the decision to get out from the sidelines and learn about new opportunities to build your wealth. This will be the most critical investment you'll ever make in yourself. Again, visit vsvcon.com today. Essentially, the new rule allows us to do something today that we weren't able to do a year ago. It's actually been a year already that it's been in effect, but that is allow us to start our syndications using a 506B exemption, which is probably the most popular ones that most people use. And then in the middle of the syndication, literally pivot and stop that that 506B offering and start and continue, let's put it that way, continue the, the raise under a 506C and therefore start advertising and generally and, and, uh, and accepting your credit investors only. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we welcome back guest Mauricio Raul. He's the founder and CEO of Premier Law Group. You've heard him numerous times on the show. He's an expert around the legal aspect of our business, and he's helping us to ensure that we're not operating in any gray area, which I do not want to operate in a gray area. And I know you, as the operator, do not as well. And you, as a passive investor, want to work with operators that are also doing everything they can to be as legal as possible, which is what we want. Uh, and Mauricio is helping us with that. And today we're, we're going to discuss, you know, maybe there's an option for that sophisticated investor that wants to become a creditor, a way for him to do that if he doesn't have that million dollars net worth or maybe the $200,000 of income yet, you know, annually. There's another way that potentially he could become accredited. Uh, and I, I've not heard many people talk about this either, but there is a way to do it. There's a, a commitment to make that happen. But Mauricio is going to go into that. But then there also may be some potential changes in the near future that will make this process easier for a sophisticated investor to become accredited. So it, it could change our industry in a big way uh, and how we work with investors, what investors can invest in these types of deals. And you're going to hear some insight into that today from Mauricio. Mauricio, welcome back to the show. It's been a long time. Uh, you, you've been on the show numerous times. We've talked about some great topics that any really operator or even passive investor should be, uh, operator should be aware of for sure. But even passive investors should have some understanding of these things as well. Uh, and so there's been some changes recently. I'm looking forward to discussing with you, but welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Whitney. This is, uh, this is episode five for me. This is, uh, this is a record for me. I don't know if it's a record for you, but super excited about this. You're in a part of the industry that's so important uh, in our business and have an insight into those things, expertise, really, right, that we must have on our team. Today, specifically, I mean, you, you've brought to light some changes recently that could be so valuable to operators, uh, right, and to investors, but that I feel like they need to know about. I, I want us to jump through some pros, cons, things, obviously, that they need to know about. But let's dive in. Obviously, 506B to 506C, we don't have to dive into really what, you know, B versus C, some of those things specifically, because I know we've done numerous shows 
about that. But I, you know, let's dive right into what does that mean? And, you know, what have you seen change? And what does this mean for the operator? And let's talk about it. Yeah, this is probably the, the biggest change that I've seen that not too many people are talking about. I'm not sure too many people know about. So, and, and to be honest, quite honestly, we've only started doing it. We probably have five or six people actually do this. But uh, I'll just give you the sort of cliff notes and we'll dive a little bit deeper. Essentially, the new rule allows us to do something today that we weren't able to do a year ago. It's actually been a year already that's been in effect. But that is allow us to start our syndications using a 506B exemption, which is probably the most popular ones that most people use. And then in the middle of the syndication, literally pivot and stop that that 506B offering and start and continue, let's put it that way, continue the, the raise under a 506C and therefore start advertising and generally and and, uh, and accepting accredited investors only. It's fascinating because when I first came across this thing, when I was reading a proposed rule back in November of almost, what is that, a year and a half ago, back in November, and I was literally reading this proposed rule and I came across this section where it said this and I'm like, it makes sense, but I'm like, there's no way they're going to allow this because it's essentially, you know, you're doing, you're taking non-accredited investors in a deal that you're also advertising, which as, as you guys know, is a big no-no. And so because it was November, you know, Christmas is coming up and the holidays, like I didn't get a chance to do a deep dive. And it actually became effective when the final rule came out in, uh, actually, I think it was January, February, but uh, became effective in March of last year. And um, I wanted to do a deep dive because it was so, I want to say revolutionary because it, it almost like it's too good to be true. But did the deep dive and, and started honestly talking about it not too long ago, probably three or four months ago, because I really wanted to make sure we had it right. But uh, yeah, so in the old days, you weren't allowed to do that because of something called integration, right? So if you try to do a 506B or, or even a 506C and you, and you try to get non-accredited or artificially break them up into two, the SEC was going to be like, like, no, 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 that's not going to work. That, that's basically, we're going to treat that as one offering. But with this, what happened actually, Whitney, is they actually changed the integration rules. It really comes from that main change. They changed all these integration rules. The integration rules were super complicated and these like they, these five factors and all this nonsense. And now they really simplified them. And part of the simplification, this issue came up. And in fact, one of the commentators who was actually reviewing the proposed rule came up with this thought. It's like, hey, it would be really, really nice if we were allowed to start with a 506B. And then if at some point we needed to switch over to 506 see, that would be awesome if you guys, meaning the SEC, could, could approve that. And and I, and I was thinking, yeah, of course it would be nice. And then other commenters were like, no, that's nonsense. I would be basically allowing advertising in a 506B deal. Like, what do you do? That's kind of a way to get around the rule. And I'm like, yeah. But then the rule came out. And that's exactly what, not only did the rule came out, but the SEC specifically commented and said, yes, we are taking the, the guidance, so to speak, that if you did start a, a, an offering under 506B, stopped, made raise, pivoted, and then started to do a 506C, that would be something that would be allowed. Wow. Got a bunch of questions, of course. But, you know, I'm just thinking through as the operator, why why not do this? That's a great question. I mean, so, some people don't need it. We've actually had a couple of clients that have started this process, but then end up raising all the capital under 506B. So they don't actually need to do the pivot. But that's a great question. Like, why not? Now, the, one of the things that you've got to keep in mind is you are kind of doing two separate offers, even though it's the same exact deal, right? You're raising money for a particular project and it's the same LLC. It's virtually the same documents. We update them a little bit, but it's very, it's substantially the same documents. But we are, we do have some best practices that we've kind of implemented sort of just on our own, just to make sure that we're super Super clean. And so one of the things we do recommend is making that decision ahead of time, right? So, so making that decision before you start raising that, hey, this is something I may want to do. So I want to have it in my back pocket. So let's structure it in such a way that would allow us to easily and smoothly and without any doubt do this transition from a B to a C. So the answer is, I don't know why everybody wouldn't do it. Especially Whitney, those clients that, you know, we, we get calls from clients like, I really want to do a 506C. I'm kind of at that at that point, but I've got non-accredited, right? I've got my, my investors that have been in here in the past. I've got a bunch of non-accredited. I'd love to get them 
them in there as well. This is a way to do that, get all your non-accredited and then pivot. So one way that we have done this in the past, Mauricio, I'd love your opinion about this as well, but uh, is that, you know, we launched a 506C fund, right? Uh, and then we said to just, and to make it as clean, like you were talking about as possible, we just want no gray area, of course. We closed the fund, right? said, so, okay, this day it's closed. Well, you know, in a, like a week later, we launch a, a special purpose vehicle, but it's a 506B entity, right? Uh, and then we raise it to 5 million, uh, which allows it to be, become accredited. Well, what's it do then? Well, it just invested in the fund. And so it was a way for us to kind of backdoor, you know, allow sophisticated investors, uh, you know, to get uh, uh, the same benefit. Um, but this seems more simple to me. <laughs> this is so much more simpler, if that's the right word. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some safeguards that we like to take into account. You know, for example, even though it's not, it doesn't say anything about this in the law, in the rule, but we like to, for example, create separate classes, right? So class A, for example, would be your 506B raise and, and, and the class B, for example, would be your 506C. That way, when you're advertising, it's very clear that you're advertising for the B shares only and you're not really commingling because that's the key, right? The key is to literally create that sort of proverbial Chinese wall where when you're doing the 506B at the beginning, you're fully complying with 506B, right? No messing around, right? That's it. Uh, you know, yes, you can t- bring in some non-accredited sophisticated, but you've got to have a pre-existing, usually a pre-existing substantive relationship. There's no advertising, none of that stuff. So you, you really are complying 100% with that B offering. Then what we like to do is when we make the decision, like say today is the day that we, we actually, you've got to terminate it. So we not only make a declaration that we've terminated the offering, but we like to do like a written consent or resolution essentially. Again, we're documenting everything. It's all about documentation. And so we document that we've terminated. And by the way, when we say terminated, we mean terminated, right? No straggling checks that come in or wires or any documents. I mean, when you terminate it, you are done with the 506B piece. And then we do that resolution. And then the next day or that afternoon, we start 506C. But remember, at that point, we're fully complying with 506C. So yes, we're advertising, but we're also limiting ourselves to only accredited investors. And we're taking reasonable steps to verify that they're accredited. We just got to play it very cleanly. And there is a, an update to the documents. It's, you know, as you know, when you, I know you do a lot of 506Cs, uh, there, there's certain language in there that would be in a 506C offering that wouldn't necessarily be in a 506B. And so we do update the doc. The sponsor usually updates also the business plan because now they're, they need to raise less money. It's slightly different, all that stuff. But the key, like everything else, is just disclosure, just making sure everybody understands that this is what you're doing and you're disclosing to the accredited investors that you have non-accredited in the deal and all that stuff. So as long as it's above board, this is just a great tool, just another tool in your toolbox. It doesn't mean that it's for everybody. It doesn't mean it solves all your problems, but it's something to consider moving forward, this is something that seems appealing to you. Well, does it matter which one you start with? 506B, 506C? What's kind of best practice there that you've seen? Yeah, 100%. So this only applies when you go from a 506B to a 506C, right? So we still cannot go from a C to a B because of a couple of things. Number one, when you start with a 506C, you are obviously by then already advertising and so we can't go back. And what the SEC really doesn't want you to do, what they absolutely don't want you to do is put out some communication, some advertising out there. You're going to capture non-accredited, right? So if you're on, you know, you do a blast or you have no control as to what, how wide that net is. But what the SEC definitely doesn't want you to do is to capture non-accredited through that advertising. And they say, oh, you know, you're not really, no, you're not, I'm sorry, you're not eligible for this deal, but guess what? I've got another deal over here. Let me put you into this 506B deal. You still have to go through that. Those that we've talked about these in the past episodes, that those eight steps to take somebody that you just met through that advertising, which was, which was illegal. You obtain that person's contact information legally because you're doing a 506C, but then you've got to take those steps to take them from that strange 
stranger to having a substantive relationship. And then you can only offer them a subsequent deal, right? Subsequent to that time that you became, uh, had a substantive relationship. So C to a B is always a no-no. B to a C used to be a no-no, or at least if you were able to pull it off in some way, you certainly would have to kick out all of your non-accredited investors. Uh, This rule is specific to when you start with a B and then go to a C or any other, by the way, I want to say C, it could be any other exemption that allows for advertising. So theoretically, it could be regulated crowdfunding or or Reg A or anything that allows advertising after the fact. What what about the documentation uh, for the operator? I know, you know, when we're doing a a 506B, obviously we are, I mean, we're so meticulous about ensuring we have a documented pre-existing relationship, right? You know, every call, every interaction that we can possibly document, we try to do that just in case we're ever audited. We can say, no, I've known Mauricio for two years. Uh, You know, he's invested with us this many times. We've had conversations about investing. We've had conversations about kids. We've, you know, whatever, you know, like we have that relationship uh, and we can prove it. What about doing this, you know, and changing from B to C, any thoughts around documentation on the operator side that they need to consider? I, I love that you brought that up because anytime you're doing a B, the documentation piece, I mean, I always remind people that it's your burden to prove what exactly you just mentioned. You know, if something happens down the road, it gets challenged and, and you say, hey, how did you meet Mauricio? Your, your memory is not going to remember how you met me or, well, maybe yes, we did. But, you know, you're not going to remember what event you met him, how long, how many times you called, you know, what kind of information. So documenting that is so key. And some people go to some, even some extremes and sort of recording all the calls and just, just having, because it's really your burden. So that's critical. But on the 506C route, one of the nice things about C, as you know, is there aren't that many limitations. So you don't have to worry about your investors having a pre-existing relationship with those investors. You don't have to worry whether they're sophisticated or, or, you know, suitable. I mean, they are accredited. And so the only requirement for you on the C really is just to take those reasonable steps necessary to verify that they are in fact accredited. And I know you do this, Whitney, but I mean, I highly recommend not doing that on your own. Like there's plenty of third-party verification companies out there that will verify that. So that documentation piece really should be outsourced. And even CPA letters, which a lot of people rely on, I'm seeing more and more people that more and more CPAs that are being reluctant to sign those verification letters because of the way it's, um, it basically shifts the burden to them. So they're always trying to come back and change the language of the letter to make the liability less, which of course makes that verification almost worthless. So even with verifications, I like to use a third party. But uh, in terms of documentation with this specific thing, uh, yes, continue to do the, the documentation on the B side. And then the re- corporate resolution is, is really the one that we've focused on documenting that. So we have, you know, ideally kind of, again, going overboard, maybe have that notarized. So there's no there's no dispute as to what day that resolution took place and what day everybody agreed that you were terminating the 506B. And then as of the date of that resolution moving forward, you were going to do 506C and comply fully with that exemption. What about uh, disclosures in the beginning, like to investors? Like, should we, I liked how you said earlier, you need to make this decision ahead of time. And I think even if, if you're audited, it would be great to be able to show the SEC that somehow as well. You know, this wasn't like a last minute, oh my goodness, we can't raise the money. Now we have to go do something, right? Uh, and so make that decision up front that you're going to do this. And, uh, you know, should we announce that? Should that be in our documents to our investors? Or, you know, when we first make that first blast out about the deal, you know, should it be known to, or is that going to raise, raise red flags to them? Or, you know, we don't want to hold anything back that they need to know. So how do you think about that? Yeah, great question. No, disclosure, if there's ever a doubt you want to disclose, right? So so this is something we have. Now, it usually is in the is the business plan itself. But again, you don't have to blow it out of proportion. There's just some line in there that just lets them know, hey, this this is going to, this is a B that's going to, you know, we, we accept non-accredited, but we're going to go to a C. And it's going to be very clear. One of the other reasons I like splitting the classes between class A and class B or, or however you want to split them is that when you, somebody's going through the PPM and the operating room, you can't miss that, right? There's all references to A and B. Now there's really three classes. 
classes because of A, B, and then the, the operator, the sponsor is the C class or whatever. So it's going to be very obvious to them, at least at the beginning, that there are going to be those. So you definitely want to disclose that. And especially for, you know, accredited investors, I think the, the fact that you are going to have non-accredited investors in deal, that's that's a disclosure. Some accredited may not like that, you know, because which I think there's some merit to that. But with non-accredited, there seems, you know, there's, there's always a, a little bit more risk that somebody's not going to be happy. Or if there's a cash call, for example, it's much less likely that a non-accredited investor will be able to make the cash call. So those are material disclosures we want to make. And so, again, I think in the business plan, you don't have to make a huge stink about it. It could even be a footnote somewhere uh, when you're describing that it's a 506B or even where it says 506B, just say 506B and we reserve the right to convert to a C. But it's going to be very clear in the PPM because um, you're going to have a, this extra class. So somebody's going to be like, well, what is this extra class for? And it's going to be very, very clear. To, to be clear also, when this extra class, by the way, literally has, there's zero differences. So the way we've created these, like they have the same amount of voting rights. They have the same, it's the same price. It's, it's the same everything. It's just literally one class was offered pursuant to one exemption or the other. It doesn't need to be that way. You could certainly change them if you wanted to. So you could theoretically start at 506B. That's another reason to do the classes. The class A may be $50,000 minimum because there's a lot of non-accredited. And then when you flip it and you start selling class B, that minimum could be 100000 or 200000 because now you know they're all going to be accredited. So you don't have to change them. The way we start uh, these off is there's zero difference, but uh, you can certainly incorporate differences if you'd like. No, that's great insight. Uh, yeah, uh, just to disclosing that up front and if we even need to or how we think about that. What about just any any do's and don'ts? I mean, as far as this process, or and actually I had another question that I wanted to remember to ask you was, is this really like two just two separate funds? I mean, are we like launching two separate funds here? I mean, one 506B, 506C, and somehow they're connected. I was just trying to think through that. I know you said a different class. I was trying to think through the structure of that legally uh, and help the listener to think through that as well. It's two separate offerings. It's a little distinction. There's two separate offerings. One's a 506B, and one's a 506C, but it's the same. If you want to use the word fund, it's the same fund. It's the same syndication, quote, unquote syndication. If you're doing a project specific, it's the same project. I'm still raising, if you're buying a hundred unit apartment building, both B and C is to raise that million dollars to buy the hundred unit apartment building. And um, it's the exact same offering. And, it's, and so it's the same, not only is it the same project if you're doing project specific, but it's also the same LLC. You're not having to create multiple LLCs. The only difference is that there are two separate offerings. So separate offerings, but same fund or same syndication. Okay. No, that's awesome. That's great. It uh, helps me to understand that. I hope it helps the listener as well. Uh, any other uh, best practices that we should keep in mind when we're thinking about potentially doing this uh, before we move to a few final questions? I think the best practice is just treat those two offerings completely separate, right? And when you're doing the B, treat it as a B, like you are, because you are, you're doing a 506B. So comply fully with that law. And then once you do that pivot, which is also a best practice for the, for the corporate resolution, then you you comply fully with that 506C. So you're not going to be taking any non-accredited and, and you're taking reasonable steps to verify. So don't, don't commingle those. Try and think of them in your mind as two completely separate offerings, even though it's the same LLC, it's the same project, everything else is, is the same, even though the second set of documents will be slightly different. So we need to make sure and have all those funds in from the 506B before, say, we do a switch. Yeah, you don't want any straggles. So yeah, because a lot of times somebody signs the docs and, and maybe they, they the wires, you know, I sent the wire, but it hasn't hit your account. Like literally, you want to make sure that there's nothing. And same with documents. You're like, hey, make sure all the documents are in, that they're all signed, that you've audited your documents because you are literally ending and terminating. Because once you go to the C, you can't just go back and reopen. It's like, oh, you know, I forgot to do something here or somebody forgot to do, you know, we, we want to make sure that we we really are very clear. That's why we have that corporate resolution. I think it helps us in best practices to make a very clear delineation as to when we stopped making offers, accepting monies, accepting documents from the 506C. I, I can see the need to just be very clear about that up front to your investors. Like, 
you have three weeks. We have to have your money in that amount of time or, or you're just not getting in the deal because we're switching to a 506C. You know, if they're, if they're accredited, well, fine. They can get in 506C offering, right? But those sophisticated being very clear. And that brings up another great kind of a best practice is if you're going to do this, start early, right? Because, you know, this is not the deal for you to do, to wait until due diligence is over and you're 100% sure you're moving forward. Then you start the process and you're, you're, you're tight against the clock. This is something you want to start right from the get-go. As soon as you, you know you're getting into contract, reach out to your attorney because yes, it's going to take time. Maybe not a, it's not going to take months, but you're going to have to talk to your non-accredited investor. Hey, look, this is open for a week or two weeks tops. And so if you don't get in now, you know, we're going to terminate this because you've got to get going. You've got to figure out once you've got everybody in on the, on, on your non-accredited, you've got to flip it over to the C. So start early would be another good practice. Mauricio, what about uh, some habits, maybe daily habits that have helped, is your discipline about that have helped you achieve success? Maybe something that's changed or maybe things that you're honing in on uh, since we've talked last. You know, I continue my habit of getting up at the not even the crack of dawn, you know, today I was up at 4.30, but uh, just getting up early is such a big thing for me because it gives me a good couple of hours even before, um, you know, before the kids get up and the wife gets up. So I've got all that time. Now, granted, since the last time we talked, I do have two puppies. And so now I got to take care of them in the morning, get them out, get them fed and everything. But that hour and a half that I have in the morning, that's really where I focus on myself. I'm big into personal development. That's when I'm focusing on my goals, focusing on big picture and that's by far made the, the biggest difference in, in my life and, and where I am now. Couldn't agree more. Uh, same way. What about uh, how do you like to give back? I'm trying to educate the syndication community. So that's how I, you know, I just try and put as much content. It takes a lot of time to put out this content. I'm trying to make it pure value add and, and not trying to do anything else with it. So that's kind of where I'm spending most of my time these days is producing content, you know, hopefully adds value to all the uh, the real estate syndication uh, community. Well, you're definitely doing that. Uh, grateful for your give back today. I, mean, I just think just this topic is, is brand new. We, I don't think we've ever talked about that on the show. Uh, and so I just think it's going to be very helpful to many operators to think through, hey, maybe this is something I should consider. Uh, you know, we can get our sophisticated in, but hey, we can still advertise in a couple of weeks, right? Or four, three or four weeks, whatever. Very helpful. Appreciate your time, Ruscio. Uh, and, and look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Whitney. <laughs> Tell the listeners though today how they get in touch with you. The other thing I give back is on, on Wednesday evenings, I do a live, a Q&A live. And so you can do that at my website, mauricioraul.com forward slash live. And every week we talk about some topic, have some guests and anything again that adds value to a real estate syndicator. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.